was in the grocery store this last week, and I saw this. Uh, it's a bad picture because I didn't want to be a weirdo taking a picture of a lady on the cover of a magazine. Joanna Gaines is having, uh, is finding, finally finding her true self. You know how old she is? I, I did a search for this. She's 44 years old. She's 44 years old and she's just now finding her true self. And I thought, you know what, I'm 42. Maybe it's time for me to find my true self. 44, 42, what do those things have in common, right? Time for some midlife crisis stuff start going on here. Right? What is midlife crisis? Midlife crisis is that moment when you sort of, you sort of dawns on you or you wake up and you think, you know, I thought I was doing it right. I thought I was good. I thought I was with the right people. I'd gone to the right schools. I'd done the right work. I was on the right ladder. And now I don't know. I don't know. And it's not just the midlife one. That's the one that's usually the most extravagant because you have some money at that point in your life and you can really do some foolish things. But there's also, there's, you know, young adult crises. There's uh, kids coming into your life crises. There's kids leaving your life crises, empty nester stuff. There's retirement stuff. There's all these different various life crises, right? And all of them bring us to a point of crisis because we want to be people who have it all together, we don't want to look like people who are falling apart. We want to look like people who are doing it right, not doing it wrong. We want to be people who are gaining and growing in the estimation of others and not garnering pity for what our lives are. But we don't know which one are we. Where are we at? How do we get right? Everyone worries about this. Everyone wants to be right, to be able to say, I'm doing it right. And that's what our text is about this morning. Our text is about knowing whether you're doing it right or not and getting right. Now, we're actually just going to be looking at verses 15 to 21 of Galatians chapter 2. We're going to come back after Advent to verses 11 to 14, a really interesting and important story of Peter and Paul and Barnabas and, and their troubles at Antioch. But the problem there at Antioch was... Paul says that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And so we're actually going to start with the truth of the gospel, which is what Paul explains in verses 15 to 21. And then we're going to come back after Advent. We're going to be in Psalm 51 for Advent, uh, beginning next week. We're going to come back and talk about that conduct. So we're going to start with the truth. The truth that is going to get us right. And it begins... Look with me at verse 18. Here's how this truth begins. Paul says, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I rebuild what I tore down. Paul had something that had to be torn down. He had something that had to be torn down. Now what did he tear down? He goes on and says, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What Paul had to tear down was an idea of himself. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The idea we have of ourselves. And he says, I needed to rebuild my life off of a different understanding of myself. I needed to rebuild my life off this truth that I'm a transgressor. What's a trans? That's a weird word, right? Transgressor. 
Anything with trans in this culture, everybody's a little bit like, what? Where are you, where are you going with this? I'm a transgressor. Transgressor means you're off. You want to be on, you're trying to be on, you think you're on, but you're actually off. You're trying to be in. You want to be in with the crowd. You want to be on the right path, in with the right people, going to the right place, but you're off. You're out. You think you know where you are. Oh, here's where I am. I'm lo- but you're lost. In the biblical language, righteousness is over here, transgressors over here. Righteousness is you're doing it right, you're on the right path, with the right people, going to the right place. Transgressor is the wrong, insert wrong for all of those things. And none of us want to be the transgressor. None of us want to be off. None of us want to be lost. None of us want to be out. Have you ever had that experience where you're going to what you feel like is going to be an important meeting or, or an important connection with somebody and, and you get lost on the way? And now, now, right, now you're rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. And that doesn't really happen in our phones anymore, but that was a thing once upon a time. And you would, how do I get there? And then you show up and you missed the meeting. You, were, you wanted to be on the inside with that group. Now you're on the outside. And how do you feel, right? You feel ashamed. You've, you look like a mess, right? Because you're stressed. And just something about that, all of a sudden you, you look frazzled. You look like a, a children's book character. And Nobody wants to be this. Paul doesn't want to be this. You and I don't want to be this. But Paul said, I had to rebuild my life. I had to rebuild my understanding of myself, of this truth. That I was a transgressor. He says that I had to prove to myself that I was a transgressor. I proved myself to be a transgressor. What did he think he was before? Well, what he thought he was before was he thought he was righteous. Right? That's what this whole section is about. We see in, in verse 16, we, we know that nobody is justified. Nobody is righteous by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ for we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be made righteous by faith. So it's all about righteousness. It's all about being right. And Paul thought that he was right. He thought that he was righteous. Look at verse 15. We'll start our sort of miniature section here. Verse 15, he says, We ourselves, like me, Peter, Barnabas, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. That sounds kind of, ooh, I don't like the way that sounds, right? It sounds kind of like discriminatory or or they've got this superior, but this is, how that, this is how they thought. We're Jews by birth. They're Gentile sinners. Paul is a Jew who has access to God's law, and he's been working it. He's been doing the works of the law. He wasn't a Gentile sinner, right? Gentiles are born, not all non-Jews, right? They're born outside of Israel. That means that they don't even have access to the law of God, to even the prospect of becoming righteous. All they could be is sinners. But Paul is born a Jew. He says back in chapter 1, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He was working God's law and he felt great. He felt great about his status before God, about his standing among the community of people who are doing it right. He was, Paul, you good? I'm totally okay. You know what? I'm better than okay. I'm great. Paul was great. He was righteous. He was doing it right. He was great. But that's not what he says in chapter 2. He says, I had to tear that down. 
I had to prove myself to be a transgressor. His status, his standing, his path that he was on, his community that he was a part of, all the work that he was putting in, his hope for his life, his entire, basically his whole world had to come crashing down. His whole world had to be torn down. And here's the first part of the truth of the gospel, the truth to get us right, is that we, like Paul, need to admit that our identity is a construct. It's a fiction that is keeping us from the truth. What Paul says he had to do, we have to do. We have to tear down what we have used to convince us that we're okay. That we're in the right, that we're living the right way before God and before others. So whatever that is that makes you feel like you're special, significant, and secure in that identity. right? So for some of us, that's our successes. We look back at our lives, we say, hey, I got this award, I got this promotion, I, I did all of, look at all of these things that I did right. I'm right. I'm doing it right. Some of us look at our failures and we say, hey, you know what? I screwed this up. I had this disadvantage. I started from this position, but now look at me. I'm doing it right. Look at what I overcame. Look at what I did right. Look at what I did wrong, but I overcame, and here I am. I'm doing it right. Some of us look at our, our privileges. We say, you know what? I was taught this, I was taught the right way. I, got, I did good in school. I was a good person. Everybody liked me. I won all of the, the friend awards that they pass out in high school. I was you know, most liked and most likely to succeed. I, I'm, I'm doing it right. I know I'm doing it right. My parents told me I'm doing it right. I've always been doing it right. And some of us come from a place of victimhood, but that's what makes us special and significant. We say, oh, I had all this abuse. I had all this, these disadvantages in my home. I had all these troubles, but, but I overcame them, and now look at me. I'm doing it right. I'm good. Whatever that is. Whatever that is that makes us feel like we are good enough the way we are, it has to be torn down. (laughs) Boo! (laughs) Hang on a second. Come on, Pastor. Haven't you been watching TV for the last 50 years? This is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be having positive thoughts about ourselves. This is, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't want to do this, right? Because it's not true. I am good. I, I matter. I am strong. I'm smart. I'm kind. And do you, know how, do you have any idea how hard I've worked to be here? How dare you? How dare you suggest that I am not the hardworking, intelligent, careful, kind person that I know that I am? I mean, just look at my yard. See how how nice and clean it is? Look, I voted. Did you vote? I voted. I give blood. I've got an RIA. You know, whatever it is, we just squirm. It's like, have you ever gone fishing and you put the worm on there? It says in the old days when you use worms, right? You put that worm on there, and as soon as that metal touches the worm, the worm goes, blah! And it begins emitting things too, right? It's secreting. This is, this is what happens when we think about, oh, I've got to tear this thing down. I've got to tear down my whole sense of righteousness and prove that I was, I'm, I'm not on, I'm off, I'm not in, I'm out. I don't want to do that. All of us have a painstakingly constructed sense of self. 
We are all living in a story. And the version of our story is, we're good. But he says in verse 16, he says, no. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. That is, you're not justified by working hard at obeying God's law that He gave to Israel and Moses in the Old Testament. Therefore, all my Gentile sinner friends, (laughs) there is no effort that we can produce and there is no standard that we can meet that will justify us. I have a sense that this may be the most important sentence in this sermon, which I'm going to try to bring up a couple more times. The only thing that justifies us, that makes us right, is our faith attachment to Jesus, which is our identification with Him. Not our identification with my story, not identification with my personality, not identification with my hopes and dreams and my hard work and achievements, but with Him and who He is, what He's accomplished and what that means for me. That attachment is what puts us in a right standing before God. Another way to say this is that Jesus wants us to be His so that He can bring us to His Father. He wants us to be His and not just ours or theirs, but to be His so He can bring us to the Father. I have a problem, I think, with the book of Galatians Uh, it's always talking about justification. I think there's this little part of me that's very 21st century American. And I just think, what? Who cares about justification? It is like the worst Bible, old-timey word you can possibly excavate from Scripture. Like, what are we doing talking about this? Who cares about God's opinion? Right, because that's what justification is, is God's opinion of me that I'm in the right or in the wrong. Who even cares about that anymore? You might not think that anybody does, but in fact, everyone still wants that sense of validation. We all want it. We're dying for it. We want that sense that we're doing it right, that we're with the right people, that, we're, that we are rising in the right people's opinion. This is, the, this is the grand promise of the algorithm. This is the promise of all the online metrics. What does it mean? Wait, I'm liked. I'm liked. I'm liked. I'm liked. I'm liked. We want to be liked. We want to be seen. We want to be, we want to know that we're right. This is, this is the goal of every resume, right? You ever put a resume together and here's all my flaws? I don't think that's one of the best practices, 10 best practices for resumes. Here's all the things I've screwed up and wish I had. And here's all the regrets I live with and the wounds and the scars, right? Or the, the annual Christmas card, right? What's the, what's the annual Christmas card saying? We're right. We're good. We're doing it. Look, we're smiling. (laughs) Everyone wants this. Everyone wants this sense of validation, which is validation means I'm valid. I'm doing it right. Everyone. Right. So years ago, this this trend already happened. Uh, Affluent families, typically probably mostly on the coasts, are hiring image consultants for their children and their teenagers. Right to either get them in the right or to convey to the world, like Harvard and Yale, that my kid is right. 
So way on that side of our culture, very affluent people, hiring image consultants, but it's the same sort of impulse on the very other part of our culture, uh, the, the online trolls, as they're called, right? These are people that are generally derided as being mean and toxic and probably losers. But you know what they think of themselves? And you know why they're doing what they're doing, right? They think that they are noble crusaders exposing hypocrisy, right? They're, they're angry, they're making people mad, and all that anger and all of that madness is making them rise in esteem amongst their fellow trolls. And, and you know how they feel about what they're doing? They feel righteous. Everybody wants this same thing. We don't want God, but we still want justification. And so you know what? You can't have it. That's the pain of our culture. That's the pain of this world separate from Christ. What we get from self-esteem, believing in ourselves, or what we get from our tribe, all the people that tell us that we're great, is just not enough. You know, in every online bio, there's a rug somewhere in that room, right? What's under the rug? In every eulogy, there's a closet. What'd you put in the closet? What's under the rug in your life? What's in the closet over there? We don't want to look. Paul says, you got to look. What's the truth if you're not looking under the rug and in the closet? None of us wants to see our beautiful image of ourselves torn down. So why should we have to, right? Why should we have to do this if we don't want to do it? What, Paul, is the evidence that he, for, for example, or me, that we're not these wonderful things that we like to think we are or need to think that we are? What is the evidence that we are transgressors? The evidence is the cross. It is the crucifixion death of Jesus. Paul says it again in verse 18, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He tore down his sense of righteousness before God. In verse 17, he says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we're found to be sinners. I'm no longer trying to be justified in, by the works of the law, but now I'm trying to be justified by faith in Jesus. But on that journey, I'm being shown to be a sinner and a transgressor. So I had to tear down my idea of myself, Paul's saying. What is it that tore that thing down? What tore that down was the cross. You know, Paul, Paul, right, Paul was working the law. He was working harder than anyone at the best thing to work at. And yet, listen to how he describes this journey. He says in verse 17, if I rebuild what I tore down, in verse, that's 18, in 19, for through the law I died to the law. In verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I tore it down. I died. I've been crucified. The law was a way for Paul to feel good about himself. Until it wasn't. Because it started to keep demanding. Right? Any standard, any law, any goal that you have, right? It, it always demands more. 
It demands more. Until finally, Paul is hunting his fellow Jews and participating in their murder because they believed that the Messiah had come. I don't think that's, a, that's in the law. It ended up being the law that forced Paul to realize two things. I'm a sinner. By the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified before God, he says in verse 16. I'm a sinner, and therefore what do I need? I need Christ. I need the Hebrew word for that, Messiah. I need Messiah. Now what did Messiah have to do when he came to Israel to save them? What did Messiah have to do? He had to be crucified. But Paul says in Galatians 3, he said crucifixion was the punishment of the law meted out to lawbreakers. That was the law's punishment for lawbreakers, for sinners, like Gentiles, but in Israel. But now Messiah, Jesus, he wasn't, a, he wasn't unrighteous. He wasn't a Gentile sinner. He wasn't a lawbreaker, was he? So why did he have to die? Who was that? Who deserved that? But Jesus, the Messiah, did it for them. Who deserved that death? But, but Messiah took it for them. Well, certainly any Gentile sinner that wants to be a part of what God's doing. But also, you know who else? Jews by birth. Who were working the law hard. And so Paul says in verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I want to reread that for you. He says, I was crucified with Messiah. I was crucified with Messiah. When the law condemned Jesus, Paul realized, I deserve that. If Jesus died for me, that means I actually deserved not applause, not heaven's great thanks and respect for being me. I deserved death. The cross and Jesus' death condemned me. The cross is the message that my self-validating narrative is a fiction. That's how the truth begins. But here's, here's the other part of the truth and why this is what is universally praised throughout the planet as the good news. Because the cross is also the gift, Christ's gift, of justification. We were wrong, we're brought into right. We were off, we're brought into on. We were out, we were brought into in. <laughs> this is the gift of the cross. Jesus took the law's curse so that lawbreakers and all of us who are way outside the law can be brought in to receive the law's blessings. He took the law's curse so lawbreakers can get the law's blessings. We can now, what does he say? I love this expression in verse 19. He says, we, through the law I died to the law so I might live to God. I might live to God. I might no longer live to the U.S. government or to Apple and Google. I might no longer live to my family history or to my hopes and dreams for my future. I might live to God. We can now do that. 
We can be right. We can be right before God. We can be good. Way back in the Psalms, there was this this psalm where the psalmist says, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in His holy place? Nobody! Nobody can. He goes on to say, Oh, if, if, you, have, uh, if you have clean hands and a pure heart, is that you? Who never lifts his soul up to what is false and never swears deceitfully. That person will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Who's that person? It's none of us. Who is it who can ascend the hill of the Lord and come into the holy place and stand before God and get all those blessings? Who is it? What's His name? Jesus, right? So by my faith attachment to Him, by my identification with the Messiah, I'm brought in. And so the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, since we've got Jesus, let's boldly come on in to the Holy of Holies and bring all your mess and nonsense with you and lay it before the throne of grace because you've got Jesus. For a thousand years, Israel's been saying, who can do that? Who can do that? Who can do that? We meet Jesus and the language changes. We're doing it and doggone it. Go do it. Get in there before the Lord. Here I'm borrowing some of the phrasing of Pastor Tim Keller in summarizing the message, the truth of the cross, which is that I am far more sinful than I ever feared might be true. I'm far more sinful than I ever feared might be true. But I'm far more loved than I ever dreamed could be possible. That's, that's your true self. The gospel is inviting us to find our true self in the message of the cross. You are so, so broken, but you are beloved even more. You are so, so broken, but you are beloved even more. That's your true self. That is the full truth of the gospel. So broken, but loved even more. And what Paul hopes will happen is that as we reflect on this, as we receive it and contemplate it, this truth will set us free. Let the cross tear down your false self-image. I think it's so interesting in this passage, we've got Peter and Paul and Barnabas. These are like the three coolest people in the New Testament. Right, so we've got Peter, right? He's this great success story, starts as a lonely, lowly fisherman, rises to be the primary leader in the church and the people of God in the New Testament. We've got Paul. Paul is this extraordinarily tough intellectual with a huge amount of energy. Everybody who meets Paul says, this guy is just a force. And then there's Barnabas. Now, those of you who know the New Testament, you might say, well, I love this story. I love this character. I love these people. But every single one of us, if we knew Barnabas, he'd be our favorite. Everybody loved Barnabas. He was the most generous. He was the most courageous. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, King David in Psalm 51. 
King David is described as a man after my own heart by God. That's pretty high praise. They all had things. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, David, they all had things in their lives that they could have pointed to and said, look, I'm doing it right. You and I all have things in our life that we can point to and say, look, I'm doing it right. I'm working hard here. I'm trying here. I'm, I've done it. I'm doing it right. Well, what about the rugs, right? What about the closets? And so the cross looks at our accolades. It looks at our resume and our online bio and it says, okay, sure. But you know who should have been up there, right? You know who should have been up there? Here it is only our faith attachment to Jesus, our identification with him that makes us right. I think it's interesting in the story of Galatians, and Paul thinks it's interesting too, right? He says at the very beginning of the book, I'm astonished at how quickly you've deserted him who called you to this grace. And it's not just the Galatians either. It's Peter. What did Peter do? What, is, what have we seen Peter? Right, Peter walked on water with Jesus. Peter preached the first Pentecost sermon after Christ's resurrection. Peter... Peter? So you might be here and you might be fairly new to the whole Christian thing and be like, okay, yeah, I I can see how I'm I'm back in my old place of insecurity. I'm back in my old place of of no peace, no shalom, no gratitude. I'm I'm trying to get in. I'm I'm worried about my image and myself, my identity. You might be a Christian though for a long time like Peter. You might have really done some really awesome Christian stuff. And be in the same spot. So what we need to do is come back. Come back again and again to the truth of the good news of the cross. This is the truth. What the cross tells you, friends, that's the truth. Some of it you want to hear, like how loved you are. Some of it you don't want to hear. Like how transgressive you are, how sinful, how often lost. But this is the truth. And what does Jesus say about the truth? The truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and even though it is at times hard to hear, we know that there is so much love and so much good for us in the truth. And that it is your truth that will set us free from working so hard at such slippery standards, things that are never going to work even if we could work them perfectly. They're not going to work, and we can't work them perfectly. And every single one of us has things that we've swept under the rug and things that we've jammed in the closets of our life. And you know it. We don't have to hide those things before you. But you invite us to bring all of ourselves to you. Bring all of ourselves to Jesus. And to know ourselves to be forgiven to be delivered, to be rescued, to be set free, to be loved, loved, loved. 
So Lord, help us to hear this good word this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be meaningful to us. That it would bring meaning to us in a way that maybe it has, but it needs to do again. Or maybe it hasn't, and it gets to do for the first time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.